Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, everyone. It's uh, it's Coot here. Welcome back to another edition, episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, you know, each episode, I always say I'm, I'm really excited, uh, but today... I am uh, jumping out of my seat with uh, joy, gratitude, and excitement. I get to interview a man I feel like is a legend, at least in my life. Um, I first read his book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, when I was probably 14, 15, a young kid in London with dreams of teaching and speaking and writing myself. It was one of the books that really uh, opened my eyes and inspired me profoundly. Uh, the man is an amazing human being. I've seen him speak, uh, true humility, uh, walks his talk. Uh, he wrote The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, uh, if, if I'm correct, in 1980. He's coming out with uh, the 25th anniversary edition of another amazing book, Life You Were Born to Live. If you don't know him, you need to. Uh, his movie, Peaceful Warrior, was was definitely inspiring. Nick Nolte was in that. Uh, it's my privilege and honor to uh, welcome to the Soul Talk podcast, Dan Millman. Dan, welcome to Soul Talk. Oh, what a pleasure to be speaking with you now, Coot. Yes, thanks for, thanks for coming on and uh, great to connect. You know, uh, I read your book uh, when I was a kid and your book inspired me tremendously. So it's, it's, it's as I said, it's a real uh, honor, privilege to have you on and so excited for my listeners to to hear you and and get to know you I just, just for those that that may not be familiar with your work there may be even some from the newer generation could you just share you you were a former world champion athlete coach martial arts instructor college professor i mean how, how did that transition happen from becoming you know a world champion athlete and coach to you could say you know a spiritual guide and spiritual teacher and author how did that transition happen? Well, uh, the brief story um, really is that when I was a young athlete uh, in college, I was very much into self-improvement. I I took speed reading and studied, as you said, martial arts and uh, learned to juggle, uh, did magic, uh, tried everything, every skill I could get my hands on, memory courses and so on. Um, and a shift happened to me uh, later in my career. I, I, I'd already achieved something in the world of sports and as a coach at Stanford University in California. Um, but I realized no matter how much I improved myself, only one person necessarily benefited. But if I could somehow reach out to other people and make a difference in their life, it made my life more meaningful. I, I know you've had this similar kind of call since you were young, mm. so you can relate mm. to that. Not everybody necessarily has that call, but I did. And uh, whereas originally I was focused on how to create more talent for sports, how could I, how could I train athletes um, in a way that they learned faster and easier and rose to higher levels, raised the potential. Um, and I discovered uh, approaches to doing that, and my theories did work out in practice. Uh, the Stanford team went from the bottom of their conference to one of the top three teams in the United States in about three and a half years. So my theory did work out in practice. But I was going through some challenges then. I I realized being able to do handstands and cartwheels and somersaults really didn't help me much when I went out on a date. (laughs) You know, it it didn't help me. It didn't help me when I got married or had children or dealt with financial challenges, career decisions, Mm. and the issues of everyday life. So my interest expanded out of the gymnasium into 
daily life. And this question drove me for a decade. How can we create talent, not just for sports, but for everyday life? And that question mm. sent me around the world, studying with various mentors. Um, and because I got interested in life's bigger picture and began studying with some rather interesting people, um, that's when I drifted into what we call the spiritual domain, but really it's like life's bigger picture. What's really going on here? What's the foundation of our lives? Because we just grow up doing what we think we should do without necessarily questioning why and what is this all about? So that interested me, and that's what I found some answers to. Um, they're my answers. They may not be everybody's, but <laughs> that's what I share in this approach to living mm. with a heart, but also a warrior spirit. Beautiful. You know, you, you, you asked, you, you said something that, that struck me, you know, the, the question of how you traveled the world in search of answers, you know, when you asked the questions like, what's really going on here? And I'm sure probably some folks listening in are wondering what the hell is going on here? Like what, what's this, what's, what's life about, especially when things seem challenging or confusing, or maybe we sometimes might feel as though we're lost. So based on your travels, Dan, and your discoveries, I'm curious, what, what would you say the purpose of life is as for us as human beings? Forget like what's our individual purpose, you know, we'll get to that, but what, what, why are we born? What's the purpose of this whole thing? What did you, what did you learn? Well, of course, uh, what I believe or state is the purpose of life um, isn't necessarily true for every individual. Um, one mm -hmm. basic principle of approach I teach to living is that there is no best book, no best path, no best religion, no best teacher, no best diet or exercise system or martial art. Um, there, there is only the best for each of us at a given time of our lives. So life is an experiment. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, our own purpose. However, I've written some material <laughs> that addresses this very clearly. In fact, one book is called The Four Purposes of Life. Um, and, and people ask me, well, why are you saying four purposes, Dan? Uh, <laughs> and, and the reason is just as we divide the compass into four primary directions, uh, north, south, east, west, and just as we divide uh, the days of the year into four seasons, by looking at our lives mm. through uh, four particular purposes, it helps lend clarity and uh, direction and focus in our lives. So uh, Robert Byrne once said, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. In other words, mm. we are hardwired goal seekers. Even I look at my grandchild crawling across the floor. Um, she's crawling towards something, not just crawling around. She wants something. She's going towards something. You know, in the Peaceful Warrior movie, uh, the character of mm. Dan, you know, He's talking to Nick Nolte, playing his old mentor, Socrates. And Dan has this revelation. I'm to the top of the hill. Dan says, you know, Sock, I've just realized it's, it's the, the journey that makes us happy, not just the destination. Well, that's, that's a nice insight because most of our lives are on the journey. But you know what? Without a destination in mind, there is no journey. We just wander around. So it is important to live a purposeful life, to ask ourselves, what is my purpose? And beginning with this question, and I think many young people in their 20s begin to ask that question, but usually it's more early 30s. We get more sober, reflective. Mm. Uh, we're, not, we're not just living like bulletproof young, you know, um, immortals. We begin to really question our lives. And this is a good time to explore this question, which I'm, I'm happy to do uh, today. Mm. Yes. And so for those listening in, I'm curious too, like, there might be some folks that are seeking to find and questioning, like, why am I here individually? What am I here to, to give? And so how, how does one go about, uh, I know you have a book called, you know, Life You Were Born to Live. How does one go about finding their own unique purpose in this lifetime, uh, the life they were born to live? Are, are there questions we can ask. Many people come to me down and say, well, I, I, could, I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to do something to, to, to serve in some way. I don't know what it is. And so how can someone go about finding out what, 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 that, what that purpose is, what their unique purpose is? Well, I can certainly address that very clearly, I hope. But before, to provide a context for the life you were born to live, um, I'd like mm -hmm. to just mention Brief, the four purposes I referred to before, sure. to put it in its context. 
Um, and I, of course, I'm not going to go into this in depth at all, but most of us can appreciate that. One, one purpose we all share. The first one is learning life's lessons. Now, we all know that. All I can do is remind people of what they already know at deeper levels, but we tend to forget. So what I mean by that is we all know that we learn from our life experience. We have a, a deeper sense of perspective now than we did when we were children or, or teenagers. Um, but I'm really saying that it is a fundamental purpose of life to learn life's lessons, in, including the 12 courses we're all here to, to Path uh, in our curriculum in the school of life. Daily life is mm. our classroom. Each of us is guaranteed to learn everything we need to learn to evolve and grow as human beings uh, just in the school of daily life. Whether or not we ever attend a seminar or read a book, mine or anyone else's, mm. people were evolving before books and seminars. Um, however, all mm. a book and seminar can do, and the reason I write books and teach is to help lend some clarity so people can learn the lessons of life more gracefully. So that's what I mean. Uh, there's much more than just saying learn from your life experience in the first section. The, the second uh, purpose we're here for is one many people think about. What is my career? What am I here to do for a living? How can I make a contribution? And that's a search for many people through their 20s and 30s. Um, we call the 20s um, the trying 20s because we try this, then we try mm -hmm. that. And we, you know that. So the second purpose does deal with career and calling and understanding the difference between the two. A career is something we do to earn a living. It's the most natural thing in the world. We need an income to support ourselves and possibly family. So we do our best to monetize our skills, our heart, our intelligence, and so on, uh, and our experience. Um, our calling, though, doesn't necessarily earn an income. It's something we would just love to do if we could just have free time all the time. Uh, maybe it's mm. music, music or writing or whatever. Mm. And those two things form another purpose. Now I'm going to – maybe we can just touch upon the fourth purpose uh, at the end of this uh, – I've made a note, fourth purpose at the end of our, our talk together. But let me now home in on the third purpose of life, which is the most mysterious mm. and profound and controversial. And that mm. purpose is one I address very specifically in the book, The Life You Were Born to Live. And as, as you just noted, the 25th, revised 25th anniversary edition just came out. It's a million copy bestseller. It's been one of my most mm. popular books after Peaceful Warrior. So, we can now dive into that, having, my, having provided a context, beginning with, how did I title it that? Where did the title of a book come from? Why did I call mm. it The Life You Were Born? I thought you might find it amusing. Um, I was trying every, you know, one title after the next for what I wanted to convey in this book. I was going to call it The Number Book, The Book of Life Purpose, mm. and so on. But my wife and I were walking through the living room in our house at, way back then, um, and our daughters were watching uh, The Sound of Music. Of course, you know that, that everyone knows that yes. movie. And just when we walked through the living room, uh, the mother superior was saying to Maria, Maria, you need to go out and find the life you were born to live. And Joy and I looked mm. at each other and went, that's the title. So that's how it came under that title. And in that book, I present a system and the mm. system I call the life system, and it is not vague information. It is, it's a big book because it's a reference work. The original book listed 37 life paths, specific life paths, uh, traveled by every human being, one of those 37, for anyone born between 1750, when the new calendar was invented around that time, to, to the year 2000. Um, we, since we revised the book, it now covers all 45 life paths, including some rather unusual ones for some children born after the year 2000. Um, but it includes those life paths. It presents a context of understanding what is this book about, where did it come from, how did I discover this life path, and I'm happy to go into any of those questions, including yeah. a bit of information. Uh, what I can share in the context of our conversation about sure. um, how people, and I'm, I'll refer people to a place they can actually look up for free, cost nothing, 
uh, they can get a, a hint, a taste of their own individual life path. Mm. You, you mentioned something. So I wanna, I'm really curious about the 37 life paths, the 45 life paths. But you mentioned something also in uh, purpose number one about learning life's lessons, that there are 12 courses in life. Could you just yeah. mention what the 12 courses in life are? And then I want to jump into the life path a bit more about into the, into the life path question. What are the 12 courses in yeah. life? Yeah, good question. Uh, I hated to skim over that. Um, okay, in brief, I'm just going to give you a list. There's much to say about yes. each one. In fact, I wrote a major book going into those, uh, um, but that's all at my website. In any case, the 12 courses we are all enrolled in, in the School of Everyday Life, are first, Discover Your Worth, which helps us to eliminate self-sabotage and get out of our own way. The second is Reclaim Your Will which deals with questions of self-discipline and how do we apply what we know in, t in terms of what we actually do. The third mm. is energize your body. And that's a common denominator and foundation element. Without energy, what can we do? So it's how to energize our body and plug up the energy leaks in, in most of our lives. The fourth is manage your money. We can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it terrifies many people. Um, the fifth is... Uh, the fifth is tame your mind, and I have a very different approach than some other people offer to that. Uh, the mm. sixth is, is trust your intuition, because most of us uh, in this culture tend to value the, the left brain, so to speak, uh, um, uh, analysis, reason, logic, over our intuitive <coughs> capacities. Mm. And, and the seventh of these areas we're all working in everyday life um, is to uh, accept our emotions. And because it's such an important area of life, how do you relate to these emotions? What do you do about them? And so on. What can you learn from them? The eighth is face your fears, because that's a major issue, mm. self-doubt for all of us. The ninth uh, is illuminate your shadow, which is really about mm. self-knowledge, about seeing ourselves realistically rather than through a gloss of self-image. Uh, mm. The tenth is to embrace our sexuality. Another major element in life, we can't switch the drug, we have to address it. How do we express our sexual creative energy? The 11th gateway is, or the course, is to awaken your heart. And of course, that's, mm. that's a, quite an... And the last one that brings it all full circle, which we couldn't do without, is to serve your world, to find a form mm. of service, which is really, you know, my, one of my favorite films, Groundhog Day. Uh, in, in the guise of a romantic comedy with Bill Murray, um, it's actually one of the most profound films ever made. Uh, and, and anybody who watches that or watches it, they'll discover it's all about service at the end when there's nothing left. So anyway, you asked for it, so I know it's a bit overwhelming, but I gave you these 12 verses. These 12 subjects encompass the entire field of what we call personal growth or personal development. Mm, mm, I love it. I mean, you break it down in such a clear way. You can see the curriculum for living. Now, I mean, I, I, I can't not ask because this really piqued my curiosity. You talked about uh, course number five uh, in terms of taming your mind. And, you know, we've heard all sorts of things from Buddhism and meditation practices about taming your mind, observe the mind, you know, get rid of thoughts. Now, you said you had something... Uh, a little different or a different way. So now, Dan, you got me curious. So uh, how, how does one tame the mind or, or manage the mind? Because I think many times uh, folks listening in have, will probably express challenges with thought and thinking and overanalyzing and, and the mind just taking us in different directions. So what do people do? Sure. Now, when we speak of mind, uh, it can have various meanings. Uh, one is simply using our intellect, our brain, our, our, our capacities to remember and learn and so on, um, and write poetry, whatever. That's all wonderful. It's a facet of the human uh, character to be able to do these things and, and refine that aspect of mind. But the, the kind of mind most of us are concerned with um, is, are the thoughts, the meanings we make of things, and all the... A uh, complex weave of thoughts, which is why one writer named Barbara Rast wrote that the lesson of life is simple. The student is complicated. Mm. 
because we tend to complicate everything mm. with our meaning, all our associations, projections. So the random discursive thoughts that arise in our mind, sometimes empowering positive thoughts, sometimes negative or disempowering thoughts, all kinds of thoughts arise in our field of awareness. And many of the traditions, uh, whether it's Buddhist or otherwise, they uh, prescribe meditation, sitting quietly and observing the mind to get some distance from it. And that's uh, quite a useful thing to see the illusory nature of thoughts and not mistake them for reality. Um, we just see them as mind stuff. And, and so that can be useful. Um, you know, meditation is an exercise. It, it's not something mm. we need to place up on a pedestal. It's an exercise like doing pitch-ups. Uh, if we do push-ups mm. over time, predictably, we get stronger. And if yes. we practice meditation over time, then we start to see the mind a bit more clearly, get some distance from it, and so perhaps some freedom from it. Um, the, the primary difference between push-ups and meditation is one cannot pretend to do push-ups. <laughs> so the point being, many I like that. Down to say, you know, people sit down to meditate, but actually they, they sit down and daydream for, for 10 minutes or so. Exactly. Um, and of course, <laughs> right. you know, I do have, I do have, uh, I do teach various aspects and approaches to meditation. In fact, at, mm. at my website, um, I can mention later about a four minute meditation I've created uh, that with a very specific purpose. But uh, unfortunately, Meditation has become kind of a thing now. You know, in Silicon mm. Valley, all, all the people are having meditation courses taught in, and that's useful. Again, any exercise we do can, can have practical results. Um, and mindfulness has become sort of a buzzword, um, like something mm. really special. You know what? Mindfulness just means paying attention. That's what it means. <laughs> paying attention to what's going on in the present moment uh, without judgment. And there, there's mindfulness meditation where you pay attention to what's arising inside, the content of arising. When we sit down quietly, close our eyes, or half close our eyes, we start to see the mind and emotions and things appear, and we let them pass. Um, that's fine. That's one form of mindfulness. Another very practical form as well is looking around and paying attention to what's going on around us, crossing the street mm. rather than busy tech and so on. So this is very popular in terms of ways to somehow fix the mind or clear it or think more positively. Um, but that's not the approach. As you asked me about, what is different about the approach I take? And it's, yes. fundamentally, it's fundamentally this. I had to present all that for the context again. And here's the direct answer to your question. Let's look at reality for a moment. What is realistic? Can we control what thoughts enter our awareness? Do we have a spam filter in our head? Can we say, I'm only going to think positive thoughts, or I'm not going to think about this thought? No, we can't. We don't have a spam filter. In fact, I suggest we have no direct control by our will over what thoughts pop our awareness or this mm. discursive mind. It's also been called the monkey mind. Um, we don't have any direct control over that, nor do we have direct control over what emotions pass through us. They're changing all the time, like the weather. Mm. Um, and only be responsible for what we have control over. Um, if, I were to, if there were a storm outside and there were terrible destruction in this storm, maybe a tornado, I ask people when I give lectures and so on, would it be your fault? Would this storm be your responsibility? And it's not a trick mm. question. And people, well, no, I'm not responsible for the storm. I ask, why not? <laughs> they say, well, because I can't control it. I say, well, then mm. can we agree that we're responsible for what we can control and not responsible for what we can't control? And people, most people agree with that. Well, if they mm. come to realize we don't have direct control over thoughts and feelings. We let them be. We learn to accept our thoughts and feelings as natural to us in the moment. So we accept them, but meanwhile, we focus on a positive, constructive goal. What needs doing right now? Despite what we're feeling or not feeling, despite whether we're feeling motivated or not, we do what needs to be done. This is a very practical approach to getting things done, to functioning well in life. 
And as you can appreciate, Coot, and I, I know your listeners can, um, mm-hmm. that may not sound too sexy or spiritual, but people who function and get things done are more likely yes. to feel fulfilled in the, than people who don't get things done because they're worried about mm. fixing their thoughts. So we come to the answer to your question. When I say tame the mind, I don't mean somehow make it quiet all the time or not think mm-hmm. negative thoughts ever. What I'm talking about is letting the mind be, but not paying as much attention, noticing it if you're meditating as an exercise, but focus on the world around you and other people. The happiest people I know, their attention is on other people. The people who, uh, as you know, when you give a, mm-hmm. uh, one of your inspiring presentations to a group of people, you're not standing there thinking, how do, do they like me? How do I look? <laughs> is everything okay? No, your attention is on them. You're reaching out yes. to them. So by putting our attention in other people and service, we're more likely mm-hmm. to feel fulfilled and self-obsession focusing on ourselves all the time. So taming the mind doesn't involve not thinking something or thinking in a certain way. It's Allowing the mind to do what it is, that's liberation from the mind. And again, meditation can help us along on that path. I love what you're saying, Dan. I think it's uh, so true and important, the acceptance of the thoughts, because I think so often we're so busy resisting them, trying to get rid of them, that it creates more suffering. And, And I think what you're talking about is really also about shifting one's relationship with the thoughts and the mind itself. Uh, which is which is really powerful. Folks, if you're listening in, uh, I'm with Dan Melman. Uh, if you thought you were your thoughts, consider that you are not your thoughts. Um, Dan, that, that's, that's beautiful. And I'm taking lots of notes, everyone. Make sure you're taking lots of notes from today's conversation with Dan. Hey, Dan, I want to go back to life purpose, life path, finding the life you were born to live. You talked about I mean, it just blew my mind, like 37 life paths, but then with the updated edition, there's 45 life paths that, that an individual can, can go down. Now, a couple of questions. Number one, how did you discover these life paths? Like, how, how did you learn about them? How did you discover them? And secondly, you know, how, how does someone determine which life path is, is the, in quotation marks, the right life path for them? Well, fortunately, there is an objective method. Uh, It's not guesswork. You don't have to fill out a questionnaire. You don't have to guess the life path you'd rather have, but you actually find your own path um, through a method that I will be happy to give. Um, Maybe it's more appropriate at the end of our conversation. But now, let me state this. This life path is based upon one's date of birth, so you need an accurate date of birth. If you don't have that, if you're not sure when you were born, or if you were born right around midnight, there's still some useful um, uh, insight work you can do using the book and using the system. But if you do know your date of birth, or or someone else's, a loved one, a colleague, a friend, a child, um, uh, you can also look up their life path. And it's right there. In fact, the book is a, is a thick book. It's a, a four, almost 500 pages. But one doesn't have to read the whole book because it contains, it's a reference work with all these different life paths. So you just look up uh, uh, material that interests you for yourself or loved ones. And what I learned, here's what happened. It is a form of numerology. I hate to bring up the words yes. because I'll, you know, I, I, had in the earlier years, I had glanced at a few books on numerology, but it never made much sense to me. I had no innate interest in this field. It, it just makes no sense how adding up the numbers of your date of birth can give valid, reliable, accurate information about the core issues of your life, your drives, your qualities that may not have surfaced in your conscious mind. And to help clarify that, and it just made no sense how one could lead to the other. Um, it seemed all coincidental and, and like uh, placebo or, or the, uh, you know, just general information we apply to ourselves. But here's what happened. I had written the life, I mean, I had written Way of the Peaceful Warrior and uh, I met one of my primary mentors in my life, other than the man I called Socrates. This was around 1984. He had read my first book and he said, Dan, I think you're going to be useful to some people and I'm going to 
come to my house at this time. I'm going to sit you down and give you a life reading. I didn't know what this mm. was. It sounded intriguing, though, because he was quite an interesting person. I called him the warrior priest. In any case, mm. I sat down and he proceeded in one hour to change my life. Now, that, wow. that sounds, kind of, sounds kind of pat, but let me explain what I mean. Until he gave me that reading and told me things about my life that I somehow knew but had never crystallized, uh, until mm. he clarified that, um, I hadn't taught. I had taught gymnastics. I had been a coach, uh, but I'd never taught about the bigger picture of life until that time. That's when I stepped forward and, and took mm. on a mantle of understanding myself and, and the life I was going to live. So, uh, and our finances changed because I was actually doing something useful, making good money, doing what I enjoyed while serving other people. So mm. I asked him, are you a psychic? How can you know this about me? <laughs> and he said, no, I, I'm not a psychic, but I, I, I've been trained to know where to look. And I, that intrigued me. Well, what do you mean trained? No. He, he wouldn't say more about it at the time, but I went and worked with, with what he had told me. And um, about six months later, he announced he was going to teach an advanced training. And he invited me and my wife to this training. There were about 20 people there. It was uh, on one of the islands in Hawaii. And mm. at this training, he gave a series of lectures on an approach uh, and again, it's a numerological approach. It's based on one's date of birth, mm. but it was far more accurate than most interpretations and most systems of numerology. Every culture mm. has had systems. The Hebrew, Mayan, the Egyptian, the Chinese calendars all have their systems, something like numerology. But this was just hit people over the head. Um, wow. And I was intrigued. Um, with this material. Now, most of the people, it satisfied their curiosity and they went and used it themselves. But it, immediately, I, I took about 20 pages of notes, Coot. That's all, 20 pages mm. of typed notes, which, which I took in handwriting and typed them up. But as soon as I got home from this training, I began to give free readings for anybody, you know, my friends, my relatives, anybody <laughs> who'd listen, start inquiring about certain things about their life and they were blown away. What? How can mm. you know this, Dan, about me? Personal to me. And so over time, I didn't need the notes anymore. I'd internalize the information. And wow. then I started doing readings when I went to a, teach a seminar. I'd, I'd do personal consultations as part of my time there. And finally, I started uh, providing these readings uh, on cassette tape back then. Um, now, I worked with these laws for eight years eight years and got new insights, new depth information um, until I started teaching a few advanced trainings for health professionals who can make use of this material in their own service to others. And finally, it, I said, it's time to write a book. And it was a very mm -hmm. challenging book to write, but that was the life you were born to live. And at the time, we never thought about what changes might come about after the year 2000. Um, so we did a theme edition, but this is the first time with the new 25th anniversary edition just came out, uh, where all the life paths are included fully. And I, I have important introductory material that explains, uh, where this comes from. It's quite controversial, as I said. Now, mm. I am an empiricist. I appreciate the scientific method. It brought us out of the dark ages of superstition and helped us understand reality. But we haven't discovered all the theories uh, and no one has discovered how this system could work. But that's the mystery and mechanics of the universe. Um, <laughs> it absolutely, anybody who looks at their life path that I've ever come across goes, wow, this, I don't know how this works. And, and can look at the comments, you know, in, uh, on Amazon, for example, about the book uh, and see what people's responses are. Um, and there are many. Um, so maybe this would be a good time to mention. Uh, if anybody's curious, obviously, if, if they're in their car right now, they don't want to do this. But if they're at home or, or in front of a computer or their phone, they can look up uh, at my website, peacefulwarrior.com. And they'll see a, a little section in the menu on life purpose. And if they click on that, 
it will take them to a life purpose calculator. So they don't have to do the mm -hmm. math themselves. The book I show at the end how you can do the math. But so this is a life purpose calculator. You go right to it, put in your day, month, and year of birth, or someone else's, a spouse, a, a, a child, whoever. You put in their date of birth, and you immediately get a number. It's their birth number. A mine mm -hmm. is 268. Doesn't mean anything to anybody. Uh, some people have a four-digit birth number. And as I said, a few children, not all, born after the year 2000, have a single-digit birth number. And that means a lot, mm -hmm. but we won't be able to get in, in this conversation. But um, once they see the birth number, they'll also see some key words about some core issues of their own life and own life path that differs from other people's. Mm -hmm. um, and I give about a paragraph or two uh, a taste, uh, some insight into some basic issues of their life. And of course, they can, they can uh, look, read the book uh, or they can even get a, an app, a life purpose app um, that's mm -hmm. available at you know, iTunes store for Android or, or iPhones that uh, immediately gives them access to this information. So awesome. that, is, that is more what it's about. It's not guesswork. People can find their own mm -hmm. birth number and life and, and gain insight. Now, why? You know, you might ask, well, why would we want to do that? You know, many people spend half their time analyzing their, their craziness and the other half of the time dramatizing it. Uh, the book doesn't, doesn't just tell you about yourself. It also has a major section of spiritual laws or universal principles that one can apply specifically to their life path to overcome the hurdles on their life path. Mm. So that's, it, it, mm. it has a value added element to it. Um, it's not right. just about seeing ourselves. Now, the reason I wrote the book is so we could have more compassion for ourselves mm. and for other people because everyone has a mountain to climb, each of us. There is no life path that is better or worse uh, or higher mm. or lower than any other. They're just different. We have different issues, different drives. Now, I'm, I'm happy to, if you want to tell me your date of birth, I can say a few things that, you know, that just mm. about um, some elements. So of it sounds very, then, then it sounds very specific. Yes. I mean, this is like really specific. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just general. It, it's very, very specific. So folks, uh, if you're tuning into this conversation, make sure you go to Dan's website. We'll also be uh, giving the link of the website at the end of this conversation where you can go and, Check out the life purpose calculator. If you're someone who said, I don't know what my life purpose is, you now have a life purpose calculator. How is that? That's brilliant, Dan. That's brilliant. You know, I have a question. I have a question connected to life purpose. Um, I'm curious, Dan, on, on your purpose in life, I mean, you've been teaching. Peace Warrior came out in 1980. Uh, that's, that's, that's a little wild. You've been around. You're still sharing and teaching and traveling and writing and creating and inspiring people on your path. Was there ever a time, and I'm sure there must've been where you felt like giving up. And I'm curious in those moments, what kept you going on your path? Because uh, probably there's folks listening in that maybe they have a vision or a dream uh, and perhaps it's not unfolding how they would like to, and maybe they're on the verge of giving up. So I'm curious what kept you going in those moments? Oh, what a good question. I, yes, of course. I, I went through phases in my life, career-wise and otherwise, when I just didn't know what I was doing. When I graduated from college, I'd already achieved in the field of athletics, and I might have gone on to be uh, you know, a, a coach at a club or something, but by some sheer synchronicities, um, I ended up stumbling my way into the coaching job at Stanford. I, when I graduated, I sold life insurance for a while. My wife, my then wife, wow. had, and I had no, no money, and we had well, maybe $500 left to our name, and she was you know, pregnant, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I was a psychology major for anything more to figure out. I, didn't, I just chose it arbitrarily in college and graduated with that, but I wasn't going to be go on in graduate school. I, I, I sensed that wasn't my path. Um, but I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I did want to do. And I guess other people have been in that situation. And so after a couple of months of selling life insurance, I realized it really wasn't 
drawing me. It was great for other people, but it wasn't for me. And we moved back from Los Angeles up to Northern California. And I walked into Jim and I visited my coach and said, you know, I just said hi to him. And he said, Hey, Dan, listen, just yesterday, the coach at Stanford university uh, left. Uh, he was, he's going to get a position up in Alaska. It's open. Why don't you go talk to the athletic director? Well, at 22 years of age, you know, know what I was going to do. So I went down and talked with him. The next day I, I was chosen as the head coach. It wasn't just coincidence. I'd, I'd achieved some in that field, of course. So I prepared myself, you know, you know, everybody's heard luck equals when preparation meets opportunity. So the opportunity was there and I coached for four years and did, I think, uh, by all accounts, a good job. Then, uh, someone I'd met said, look, I, I'm now the uh, physical education chair and athletic director at Oberlin College in Ohio. Uh, how would you like to come and be a faculty member here? I said, that sounds mm. interesting. And he offered me, you know, twice the salary I was getting to coach. Plus I could make up my own courses. And I was interested at this time in teaching psychophysical development and peaceful warrior training and um, mm. martial arts and so on. And he gave me free reign. So I started being a college professor. I felt like I was charmed. I was leading a charmed life, falling from one great opportunity into another. Mm-hmm. And after, after almost four years there, I decided to go back to California to take part in a spiritual school. That's a longer story. But mm. the point is, the, bo- the bottom dropped out. Then I didn't mm. know I had to make money. I wasn't going to get a coaching job again I, or a college professorship. Those were just doors, narrow doors that opened for me. And I painted houses. I did data mm. entry. I I tried this and wow. that. I was a good type. Yeah, I mean, I was a, an administrative assistant in a in a body work school. Um, I didn't know mm. where I was going, what my life was about. I had lots of doubts. Uh, was I was completely confused. But somehow inside me, there was a seed planted from some of the experiences I'd had over the years. And I just knew I wanted to reach out to other people. So I used my skills and I was a fitness coach for a while. One of the earlier personal coaches who went to people's homes and helped them get in shape. Uh, And I did that for a while. Then I met this mentor who revealed the information Mm. from the life that I eventually wrote in the life you were born to live. And that's when I began to teach a variety of trainings based on what I learned from him. And I, you know, I didn't write another book for 10 years after Way of the Peaceful wow. Warrior. I had other, nothing more to say. But suddenly I, st- I had all this incredible and cutting-edge information. So I began to write other books, Sacred Journey of the Peaceful Warrior, another mm-hmm. book called No Ordinary Moments, and so on. And uh, then people started asking me if I could come teach a weekend workshop. So I started doing that. And everything turned around. But it happened only after... I was given that life reading and learned the material from life you were born to live. So yes, I had my series of doubts, feeling lost, um, just waiting for something. And that's, that's how it happened in my case. And every story is different. Each of us has our own story, unlike any other. Thanks for sharing. So honestly, then, because sometimes, you know, we have this romantic idea that, you know, once you are, kind of moving or working towards your, your purpose, everything just is easy and, you know, the angels come out and the unicorns and the violins and, and, and the fact that you were, were hustling, you know, and, and doing data entry and, and selling insurance, you know, it's, it's just you were on the path. And so uh, it, it's not always easy. And, and so thank you no. for sharing that. And, and also thank you, Dan, for not giving up because had you, you know, given up, I think so many of us wouldn't have been, inspired or our lives would have taken different a different turn you know not having read your work you said you mentioned uh you wrote the peaceful warrior this kind of stood out to me and, and you didn't write anything for 10 years and yet you've gone on to write what 17 books 16 books after that in total millions is sold millions of copies myself and maybe there's some folks that are, are, are aspiring writers or are writers how do you how do you how do you create how do you stay creative prolific i mean writing a book in and of itself is a huge i mean it's a huge endeavor to write a book i mean it takes a lot as 
as I wrote my first book uh, a couple of years ago, You Are the One. And, and so how do you create? How do you, how do you stay in that creative flow? And what do you do when you feel creatively stuck or blocked? Sure. Well, as you know, in your own life, there was something in you that wanted to express itself in the form of a book mm -hmm. and you wrote yours. It was just a, a heartfelt calling. And, um, I do have a lot to say about writing, so I'll keep my thoughts pithy with a couple mm -hmm. of quotes. Jack London said it takes hard writing to make easy reading. Uh, and, and Somerset <laughs> yeah. mom, Somerset Mom, who was, I think, a Pulitzer or Nobel Prize winning writer, once said there are three essential rules for writing a successful novel. Unfortunately, nobody knows what they are. <laughs> so the thing <laughs> is, um, I can't give any pat slogans. There's not a trail of breadcrumbs or stardust to follow. Each of us has to blaze our own trails. Now, the best answer I could give about writing is my daughter and I, my daughter who's uh, uh, quite a fine author in her own right. Uh, in fact, mm -hmm. I'm finishing up reading her first novel. She's written up two other books, but this is her first novel. We wrote a book together called The Creative mm -hmm. Compass. And that book, um, published by my same publisher, New World Library, um, is one of the better books for encouraging people and directing them through the five stages of the writing process. There are universal stages we all go through. First, dreaming, coming up with ideas. Then the drafting, where we bring those ideas into reality on paper, on computer. The third stage is development, where we step back and look if we have to do any house renovations because that tassel in our mind looks like a, a tool shed on the page. And then we have to step mm -hmm. back and do house renovations to make it into the vision we first had and finally refining and then sharing. Yes. And they're all important mm -hmm. areas. The book is structured around those areas, the creative compass. And, and that will, I think, give encouragement and, and perspective to any aspiring author, any writer. Um, now, I never saw myself as a writer. I, in wow. fact, like you, like you or maybe many people, I was intimidated by a 10-page paper I had to write, you know, for, <laughs> for school and college. How am I going to fill up 10 pages? Um, 10 sure, pages. But, but I was called to be a teacher. I love to share mm -hmm. with other people and influence. So first it was in gymnastics and sports. Then it was about daily life. So I had to learn something about the craft of writing and speaking in order to share what I wanted to and in order to reach out to people. Um, so I don't need to write. I just write mm -hmm. because it's, I found it I only have one more book in me after after um, after the one that just came out. I, I'm I'm working on I'm working my way into my final 18th and final book project, which will wrap up wow. my career. I'm fine fine with that. I'll have made my contribution. Um, and it's hard wow. for readers to keep up with. So mm -hmm. that's that's what I about writing. I there is a chapter in the Creative Compass titled "Permit Yourself to Write Badly, so that you can yes. then write well." Most of us don't Love give it. ourselves permission. And, and yes. Ernest Hemingway said, first draft of anything is crap. So, yep. and, and that was Ernest Hemingway. We ha it's the second and third draft that can make a mm. difference, and the fourth. Mm. Mm. I love that. I think that's so important, Dan. I mean, for me, I hate, I, I kind of like, I always joke that I hate writing. I'm more of a speaker. And, and the only way I could even manage to write anything was just allow myself to write crap. That's exactly what I tell people and, and, and not put any pressure on myself to make it good and just at least get something out. So that, that's a huge key. You know, Dan, exactly. unofficially, you have been, uh, you know, you didn't know this, but, but uh, you know, I grew up reading your book when I was a kid, 14 years old in London. So in some, in some ways, you've been an unofficial mentor of mine, a guide throughout my life. And so I'm curious, based on your experience, life experience, your experience in the field of transformation, personal growth, the, the spirituality, uh, I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen it all, speaking, uh, writing, you've been successful, I'm sure you've had your ups and downs. For those that are, you know, for those that feel a calling to serve humanity as teachers, as healers, as you know, uh, coaches, uh, as authors, as speakers, is there any, you know, ex is there any uh, advice or words of wisdom that you could give 
the future next generation transformational leaders in this field? Well, I certainly welcome and support uh, the next generations, the coming generations. Um, you know, um, I forget the name of the source, but he said, oh, Andre Gide once said, everything that needs to be said has already been said, but it needs mm. to be said again. It needs to be said again because no one was really listening. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there's always always room for new voices. Even though the information is available universal, my, my calling was, I had read books on personal growth of one kind or another from Dale Carnegie, you know, and the seven habits of highly effective people and so on. There were a number of books, but, and I'd read Carlos Castaneda. Maybe you remember him. Yes. Um, he was yes. an evocative author, a very good author, a very good writer. But, I wanted to convey something different, how we can find what we need in everyday life, maybe even from an old service station attendant. Um, mm. so, so the point is that wisdom is around us, and that, that's what drew me to express myself in my own way. Uh, one English lord said, I cannot write a book commensurate to Shakespeare, but I can write a book by me. And that's mm. what we need to do, a unique voice. Um, so... You know, many of us get discouraged because we only see the product. People read one of my books and go, wow, Dan's, oh, wow, look, he can really write. I can't, you know, um, because we see the product. We don't see the process that I went through to refine that material and how it looked really bad. So we need to understand the process of that, uh, of how, what young people are seeking delivery systems. Some people, a book will do it. To be author of and have a book out there, an ebook or a print book. Um, and for other people, uh, audiobook is much more effective. For other people, teaching seminars to small groups of people, whatever venue. You know, I recommend to people dream big, but start mm. small and then connect the dots. Mm. That's, that's how I did it, mm. and it seems like a realistic process. We also need to know that we can, we can control our efforts, but we cannot control the outcomes. I can't guarantee to anybody they're going to find their way to success, love, or, 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 or in business or otherwise. But by making a good effort, we increase the odds of getting our desired outcomes mm. over not making the effort. So the horse I'm betting mm. on is effort over time is persisting. And if we're called to be a teacher, a coach, and so on, uh, you know, to be, to be successful in a field, you need to be good at two things. You need to develop the skills to be good at what you do. And you have to be good at marketing and promoting what you do. Nobody likes doing mm. that. I don't. But if, if you can't help anybody who doesn't know you exist, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Develop the skill and marketing and promoting. Absolutely. You know, Dan, you, have you shared a lot. Uh, you shared, well, I'm taking, I'm taking copious notes here. You, sh you shared a lot during this conversation. Uh, and there might be some overlap in, my, in my, my next question, but if there were, you know, based on your experience, if there were three key life lessons that let's say you were to, to pass on to your children, your grandchildren, the future generations, just the three most important things you've learned, what would they be? Well, let's see. I've written uh, 17 books. I wonder how I can boil <laughs> that down. Three key questions. <laughs> um, three key, well, three I'll keys, repeat. Dan, you only got three. Yeah, I'll, re I'll re repeat what I said before. You know, we can talk about the importance of self-trust, the importance of not comparing ourselves to other people um, because the Buddhists call comparison suffering because there'll always be people better or not as good as us. And it's a disrespect to our own unique process. Um, so I could talk about trusting our process, trusting our life, or not comparing ourselves to others. Let me give three very uh, defined guidelines, practical guidelines yes. for every life, which I hinted at earlier. First, accept whatever thoughts or feelings pass through you or arise in you. Accept them as natural to you in the moment, whether they're positive or negative. Just accept them. They'll pass in any case. That's the first. Mm. The second is focus on action. We have control over what we do, no matter what we're feeling or thinking. We have control over what we do. So focus on what is my goal? 
What is my purpose in this moment? And the third thing is do whatever needs to be done, whether we feel like it or not, in line with our purpose, presumably a mm. constructive. And if we do that, those are guidelines for living wisely and well, without all the complications, without mm. trying to motivate ourselves or have the right attitude or the right thoughts. Just accept our thoughts and feelings, focus on our purpose in this moment. And that brings me to the, I promised I would relate the fourth purpose of life. Yes, maybe the most Okay, that is whatever purpose is arising in front of us. You know, if, if I ask all your listeners, what is your cosmic ultimate purpose? They might have a little trouble coming up with that. But if I said, what is your purpose right now? That's clear. My purpose is sharing with you right in this moment. Your purpose is being a host and listening and asking questions. And their purpose is also your audience listening and uh, gaining what they can, what's useful to them through their own particular filters. So we always know our purpose in that moment. And by, to live a purposeful life, to live on purpose, uh, that, those are three very practical guidelines that I would share right now. Beautiful. Except whatever thoughts are arising, knowing that they'll pass, focusing on the action in front of you, and uh, doing whatever needs to be done to live in alignment with your purpose. I, I love the fourth purpose, Sam. Whatever purpose is arising right now really, I think, uh, aligns us with this moment. And I love the way you uh, take spiritual ideas and just simplify them to a very real and uh, practical level. So deep appreciation. Could you assign... Uh, uh, I, I really want this conversation to land and embody and become practical for people. I really want everyone listening in uh, to put your information and what you shared so generously into action. Is there a homework assignment a specific, if there were one thing that the listener could do uh, in their lives to uh, implement something you've shared, could you assign like a homework for those listening in? I certainly can. Your cosmic homework is to know thyself. That's mm. why I wrote the life we were born to live, Kud. So it increases, it helps illuminate our shadow. It helps us to see ourselves realistically. And it actually increases our sense of humor about ourselves. We don't take ourselves quite as seriously when we see our dynamics uh, and what we share with other people as well. Uh, the reason it's important to know ourselves is because if we don't really know ourselves, we end up making the right decisions for the wrong person, the one we thought we were. The more self-knowledge we have, and again, that's why I wrote the book, the more self-knowledge we have, the more wise and appropriate our decisions are for our own lives. You know, what are my talents, values, and interests? That will help guide you uh, uh, through the, the shoals and the reefs in life. Beautiful. Folks, you heard it. The homework assignment from Dan, know thyself. I mean, that's the ultimate question, the cosmic homework. Who am I? What are my talents? What are my gifts? What are my interests? Uh, this has been a, a really enlightening uh, soul talk edition, folks, with Dan Melman, author of The Peaceful Warrior and Life You Were Born to Live. Uh, Life You Born to Live is in its 25th year anniversary edition coming out being re-released with new information if you haven't read any of dan's books i want to uh encourage you invite you urge you to uh, i know the book is is coming out right around now so go to amazon purchase the book share it with your friends devour the book dan has shared uh, a very specific shared that there's a very specific system uh in this book where you can access and understand the 45 different life paths updated from 37. I have to go check out these new life paths. So folks, check it out. Uh, life you were born to live. Uh, and definitely let me know how you enjoyed this conversation. I would also love for you to write me an email at cootblackson at cootblackson.com. Let me know your main takeaways from this conversation. Uh, Dan, is there a, a, what's the best way people can find out about you and your work, your best website people can connect with you? It's all at PeacefulWarrior.com. Awesome. Folks, you heard it, PeacefulWarrior.com. We will post uh, all of Dan's information, uh, website link, and social media, and where you can also 
uh, a link to purchase Life You Were Born to Live along with the show notes. I trust you are inspired and ready to live your true life's calling. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Look forward to hearing from you and look forward to connecting with you in the next episode of Soul Talk. Thank you so much, Dan. I have loved having you on Soul Talk today. It's mutual. Blessings. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.